podcast. I'm Dr. Taves, and it's my mission to empower everyone with headaches and migraines to break free from a life of fear and dependence and thrive in everything you do. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Botox and any potential surgeries that uh, you could have or maybe recommended to you uh, if you have headaches or migraines. We're going to talk about um, what happens when you receive Botox? Is it uh, is it effective? Is it something that you should consider? And how from a neck mobility issue, as this being a neck problem, what does it mean to get Botox? Is that helpful? Does it kind of add to the type of care I provide? Um, or does it take away from it? Is it even needed in this whole process? Uh, and then if there's any potential surgeries, we'll, we'll talk about a few um, options and and Surgery is really not that common with patients that have headaches and migraines, um, but in the extremes of things, it can be done. And so we'll talk about that and kind of the approach that uh, surgery may take. So first off, let's talk about Botox. Botox is very, very common. It's one of the uh, more prevalent interventions that the medical doctor, the neurologist really will provide to patients with headaches and migraines. Um, and it actually can be very effective. The The type of um, experience that patients have when they go through Botox um, can be a, a very positive one. And uh, oftentimes it's it's uh, more helpful than the medication route. It's more helpful than the preventative uh, or the abortive meds that a lot of patients have tried leading up to the point of saying, okay, now we need to go down the road of, uh, of Botox. Now, the reason people are hesitant to go down um, the road of getting Botox is because it is one, it, it can be uncomfortable. So there's um, 30 plus needles that uh, or sites that Botox can be injected. And, uh, and then there, there can even be more than that. So there's a lot of, uh, this sort of like discomfort having a needle in all these different areas that some patients are fearful of. Um, the other thing is it's expensive and oftentimes insurance doesn't cover it. So, uh, you know, it can be $1,500 to go through, uh, one set of injections for Botox and the Botox itself is costly. Uh, the visit to the neurologist is costly. Um, and then probably the, the biggest, reason, at least from the patients I talk to, why they wouldn't go through Botox is because they realize that um, as it will calm the the pain down or calm their symptoms down, uh, they may need to just return to it every three months. And uh, do they want to go down that road of being dependent on the Botox? And for some people, they choose not to because they, they don't want that dependency um, on on Botox, just as they would another medication. That's the same sort of reasoning that a lot of people use uh, when they don't want to take the prescription medications. They believe that it is masking the symptoms and that it's not treating the underlying cause. And so why, why go through the process in the first place to just sort of cover up what your body's experiencing? Why don't we pay attention to uh, what the body is telling us and, and figure out what's truly needed? Um, Botox is a little bit closer, gets a, gets a little bit closer to actually solving a problem. Um, so with a lot of the medications, especially the pain medications or um, anti-seizure meds, the what they're doing or the CGRP drug, what they're doing is actually sort of shutting off 
the pain pathway, or maybe it's increasing serotonin. It's it's sort of manipulating uh, the at the chemical level what uh, what how our body's functioning, and really what that means is um, our body has a cascade of events in response to inflammation from our neck that ultimately leads to us experiencing head or facial pain. And these pharmaceutical drugs are changing that cascade of events. They're, they're sort of manipulating it so that we don't experience symptoms that are as severe as we would normally. And so um, when, we, when we look at Botox, it is a local intervention. So that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. When we ingest something, it is more of a systemic process. So it needs to be filtered through our liver and our body needs to break it down and then disperse it and then use it appropriately but it's not it's not like these medications are um, are localized that's why we have side effects to medications because oftentimes um, it's affecting other systems in a negative way but if we have a net positive so if if it reduces your pain enough then we're okay with whatever side effect there may be um, or a lot of patients have severe side effects so it doesn't necessarily outweigh the net gain or if there, there may not be a net gain in the reduction of their of their pain when it comes to the headache or migraine, um, and so Botox is local. It's a it's injected into the neck, into the forehead, into the temples, um, into the scalp, and it it is local, and that and that's a good thing. Uh, but Botox is botulinum toxin. It's an actual um, it's an actual toxin. It's something that you know technically you, you could call it like a poison and um believe it or not a lot of uh medications are, are kind of they fall into that category and so what what the medical field has done is just manipulated sort of the dosage so that um again you, we they manipulate a certain aspect of the body's function um without the the negative side effects as much as possible and so botox is kind of that same thing if we inject it locally um it'll have a local effect and that local effect is really on the the muscles themselves. So it'll actually paralyze the muscle tissue from being able to contract. And Botox can be used as sort of a diagnostic. And so when patients come to me and they're, they've either, either had Botox or are thinking about t- Botox, well, if they've had Botox and it helped, but it helped temporarily, then that's actually a good sign that the patient is responding to an increased amount of muscle tension running through their head and their neck. Um, the fact that Botox works actually gets a lot of neurologists to acknowledge that the neck can be a problem. Um, so the the amount of tension running through the neck in a lot of headache and migraine patients um, is something that neurologists are aware of. And, and ultimately, because um, when they're prescribing Botox and administering it, um, that is ultimately what they're changing. It's it's taking these muscles that have been tight and restricted for so long, and they're actually causing pain. They're part of that pain signal and calming those down. Uh, and now it's an artificial way of calming those down. It's basically just like it's injecting a toxin that is just going to, um, art, like I said, artificially cause that muscle to relax. So it's forcing the body to do something that it naturally wouldn't do. So the problem is technically still there, but the as long as the Botox is intervening and shutting off that muscle from contracting, then the the result is that you, you'll likely feel better. 
So one, I use it as a diagnostic to say, okay, if you went through a series of Botox injections and it helped, that's a good sign that your neck is driving this and that the, there's muscles in your neck or in your head or your face that are um, irritated enough that they're causing a pain signal. Um, and so that's that's number one. It kind of gives me um, sort of support for this being a neck problem. Um, moving, moving forward though, so if someone comes to me and they're thinking about Botox but they haven't had it yet, um, usually I am kind of hesitant to allow them to go down, down that road. I mean, the patient can do whatever they want, but uh, if we are treating the neck problem, it kind of gets confusing for the patient. Um, I can feel progress on their neck, but oftentimes I'll use the patient's symptoms to tell me how much progress that they're truly making. So it would be like me working on the mobility of their neck and seeing 20%, 30%, 40%, 50% progress. Um, but since we've used Botox to intervene, we've sort of masked what the body's feeling. And with a lot of chronic pain, it's very, very important to understand what the bot, what the brain is actually realizing as pain. So our, our pain is, you know, we, we want to, I want to get that feedback from the patient. I want to get that feedback um, from their body. And if we sort of shut that off, it really does complicate things. And it makes it confusing for the patient and for me, frankly, uh, to understand how effective the treatment truly is and the treatment being me working on them. Um, so it, it is kind of acting as like a Band-Aid that confuses any progress that we might be having. So I, I usually don't recommend it while I'm going through treatment with a patient. Um, some patients might think, or some people might argue that if we reduce the amount of muscle tension, then it'll be easier to work on the joints in the neck, which are uh, the, that's where we've lost mobility. That's what's kind of driving this problem is the lack of movement through the joints. Um, and so, yeah, you know, maybe if I really get into a bind and a patient can't um, relax if, the, if their muscle tone or tension, just the amount of a contraction through that muscle won't relax, then maybe Botox uh, would make sense. But if we jump to the Botox as an intervention while I'm treating someone and, and, we have, and, and we're making progress and I know that their neck um, is likely going to be the solution if we get it moving, um, then it really is more of a confusing thing than a helpful thing. Um, so Botox is, uh, is local. It uh, paralyzes the muscles in an artificial way. So it's not necessarily a good depiction. It's not fixing the underlying problem. Now, the reason the muscles are tight, and this is where um, the neurologists, most of them will kind of stop here. They'll say like, this is a muscle tension problem. Like let's do Botox uh, to help reduce um, the, the severity of your symptoms. Um, but the next sort of steps in that line of thinking are to say that um, what is to ask the question, why are those muscles tight? Why are those muscles angry? Um, because if they're responding to Botox, it just assumes they are. And so to answer that question, we have to understand how the joints themselves move. Um, so this is me being a broken record, but the joints, um, the, the joints that those muscles are acting on to move are tight and restricted. And this is true for most things in the body. The the joint that the muscles are trying to move is is use, usually the problem. It'll be restricted. It'll There's a joint capsule that'll kind of uh, have adapted to a shortened position. 
maybe there was some trauma that led to scar tissue and the joint doesn't move as well as it should. And the muscle is still kind of programmed, for lack of a better term, to have a certain degree of mobility to be able to contract and then relax. Um, and if it can't contract and pull the joint as far as it can, over time it'll get stressed out and irritated. So um, the Botox will help relax the muscle, but it will not fix the joint mobility problem. And so to truly fix the underlying problem so that you don't have to rely on Botox injections over and over and over again, we have to address the joint mobility and, and hopefully we address the joint mobility first. Um, if you have gone through this series of Botox and you're, and you're thinking, okay, I've got another six weeks till my next injection, what I would encourage you to do, even if Botox has worked, is find a good physical therapist that can work on the upper part of your neck and restore mobility to those joints because um, my, my suggestion or my hope would be that you can actually get out of that cycle of having to go back to Botox over and over and over um, because just about everyone doesn't want to be reliant on that form of treatment. Again, because of the cost, uh, the discomfort, and um, oftentimes, I didn't mention this earlier, but I've had several patients that just have uh, bad reactions to it. Sometimes that means they get a worse headache right after, um, and, and it actually can sort of stir things up. Oftentimes, it's just really sore. Patients will just feel out of it for a couple of days. And so um, it, it's a lot to consider for patients to keep doing something like that. And so if we can address the underlying problem... So if we can address the underlying problem, that's that's always a better avenue. So in general, Botox is going to be um, oftentimes a better solution than medication, uh, more effective. It's local, so you don't have a lot of these systemic side effects um, that that could come from just a, uh, ingesting a medication, one of the preventatives or abortives. Um, and so it's not a bad option, but again, you have to understand that it is it is artificially um, reducing the amount of muscle tension, and we we kind of want to use what the patient feels to our advantage. Uh, but the problem is where these patients aren't being seen by the right providers. So um, the assumption here is that the right treatment is on board. So if you have the right treatment on board, then Botox is really just a, a distraction, a confusion. Um, and so we want to hold off on Botox until we've really treated the neck properly. And then we can trial Botox if for some re reason we hit a, a roadblock. Um, uh, or if, because uh, there's a small percentage of patients that working on their neck is not all they need. And so we, we need to add something like Botox in. And Botox can actually be targeted. So if there's certain areas in the neck, um, you can ask your physical therapist, like, what should my neurologist um, focus on or where, where should they try to uh, target um, the injection? And so you can kind of use the physical therapist who's going to be more versed in the, the anatomy with the neurologist who um, is just under, you know, they're the one administering the Botox. Um, so that's, those are my thoughts on Botox. I know a lot of people have either considered Botox or gone through it. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, let's talk about a, uh, a type of um, surgery that I've heard um, several patients talk about and several others mention as a potential option. So there's a nerve ab ablation, there's a, sort of a decompression type surgery, 
And all of the, the those two are, are sort of focused on uh, one, a nerve ablation is uh, sort of like they have different, I think they have different methods of doing it, but think of it as like just removing the sensory nerve. So if a sensory nerve is really angry and uh, it just seems to be like your pain is all concentrated from like the occipital nerve, they can do an occipital nerve block or a nerve ablation where they're actually just sort of shutting off that pain signal to be, they're, they're cutting off any sensory input from that, that nerve. And uh, this can be effective. Usually what happens though, because our peripheral nervous system will, it's, it has what's called plasticity. So it will um, adapt and change and it'll actually regrow. So it'll regrow a pathway. And usually um, over a period of time that the pain will just return. And sometimes it's even like a stronger pain signal because um, I mean, a couple of theories here, but one is if you remove the pain, the pain is there telling your body like what to avoid. So oftentimes like, you know, if you roll your ankle, you're limping because you want to take stress off your ankle. Well, if you roll your ankle and you have no pain, you just walk normally, then your ankle is just going to get more and more irritated. If your neck is injured and you, you, you do a nerve ablation to take away the pain, um, you're, you're likely to just play into the problem that was there in the first place, place and you're not going to avoid the, the certain movements or be as hesitant with neck movements as maybe you would normally. And that can actually be detrimental to the health of your neck. And so when the sensory input actually returns, you're worse off than you were in the first place. Um, so nerve ablation, um, occipital nerve block, things like that uh, are really just a way to locally affect that specific nerve. Um, and then we have nerve decompression. So sometimes a nerve will actually have like pressure, inflammation, like tension around it. And so they can go in and uh, sort of carve out some space for the nerve itself. Um, this can also be helpful just because uh, if the nerve is truly irritated, then um, yeah, clearing up space for it is, is going to allow it to breathe. And so if that's part of the problem, that can actually be um, a viable solution. But again, we have to understand why that tension is there in the first place. Why is the muscle or the tissue surrounding the nerve, why are they um, sort of occluding the space? Why are they um, causing that nerve to, to require a decompression? Um, and that tension if we go back to what I said earlier, it really follows or stems from a, a dysfunctional pattern, which is usually the joint not moving the way it should and uh, the body um, moving in a different pattern than what it's used to. And that increases the amount of stress because that movement is usually not as efficient. It's not how the body was intended to move. And so we've got smaller muscles doing more work. We've got um, the the neck in general and, and just like every muscle that is holding our head up having to do more work. Um, we've got deeper postural muscles that are becoming weak. Um, and so th this whole system of like saying, okay, we have tension around this nerve. That's really um, like a, like a myopic, a very focused um, evaluation of a bigger problem. So you're kind of like zooming in on the tree, but you're missing the forest. And again, they're, they're, interventions that are there and can be helpful and they do help a lot of patients but the problem with our system right now <clears throat> is we are doing these interventions for the the dead trees in the forest but we're not understanding uh the bigger 
picture. We're not we're not looking at the forest as a whole. We're not understanding where the tension's coming from. We're just treating it with the Botox or the nerve ablation um, or the decompression, whatever it is. And uh, these are all things that um, well, the surgical procedures can be more permanent in that they're changing tissue permanently, but the underlying problem is still there. Uh, I had a, a patient earlier today where I was explaining why surgery oftentimes is still not correcting the underlying problem. And I used the example of having a car that was in an accident and the frames kind of bent a little bit. And so when you drive down the road, the alignment's off and maybe it drives okay, but the tires wear a lot quicker. And so you get to a point where the tires are really worn. And like, like let's say in, in a patient example, like <clears throat> this is you, this is you, the patient. So you're a, you're a car that has the frame a little bit off and your alignment's off and, and your tires are worn. Well, the surgical approach would be like looking at the tires and saying, well, clearly your tires are worn. We have to replace those. But what I'm trying to tell people is, no, your frame is bent. We need to correct the frame so that you're driving down the road properly. And there's not there's not increased stress through the tires in the first place. Because if we just keep replacing tires, the problem is just going to come back over and over and over again. And so we need to kind of zoom out and understand the bigger picture. Um, and then we can use these interventions to help us if we have the bigger picture in mind. Um, but we oftentimes don't. And these are the only things that we're provided with without having sort of the understanding of what's going on to cause this in the first place. Um, and so let's let's kind of back up and understand what is causing it in the first place. And I think headaches and migraines will be a much easier problem to fix. Um, and it will not be as debilitating and it will not be this sort of um, epidemic that is, uh, is in, it's affecting so many, so many people. Um, so anyways, that's, that's today's discussion on Botox and other interventions aside from medication uh, and what my thoughts are about that. Again, to summarize, let's look at the big picture and understand that before we jump into this stuff. This, this is the Headache Doctor podcast, and I'm Dr. Taves. And again, it's my mission to empower everyone with headaches and migraines to break free from a life of fear and dependence and thrive in everything you do. Thanks for listening.